Hello and welcome to episode 364 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we are coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of the Super Bowl 48 champion Seattle Hello. Seahawks. Oh, who's 64? I, we're in the thoroughly, offensive lineman yeah, territory. Thoroughly in the offensive lineman zone <laughs> right defensive now. Defensive lineman, possibly? It could be some defensive lineman. That's that's true. Uh, you're going to have to fill while I look this up here. I'm going to say that it's for the Nintendo 64 and shouts Dumb. to my takes later. There you go. Oh, <laughs> that connects to your takes? Mildly. Mildly. At uh, 64, we have UW, uh, I believe, center Kyle Ben. <laughs> there we go. I don't know why I determined he was Kyle notable enough ben. to make it. Shouts to Kyle Ben. Shouts <laughs> down to Jamie Ben. <laughs> well, Remember when we used to do shouts up and shouts down? Uh, that was a long time ago. <laughs> what about anti-shoutout? Was that the JaVale McGee shoutout? I think that was an, a thing. I think I once had an anti-shoutout to a, uh, a train. Lakers fans? No. Well... <laughs> I, that's me. I'm Lakers fans. That's why I can make that joke. Exactly. A three-year starter on the offensive line between 1999 and 2001, Kyle Ben brought toughness and nasty edge and leadership. <laughs> I swear Kyle Ben was on the team this year. <laughs> I swear to God, Kyle Ben has been on the Husky offensive line for the last 20 years. You could have convinced me of it if you would have told me any era, 1990 through. You could have been like he was the Husky starting center last year, and I would have been like, Kyle Ben was a rock on the offensive line. <laughs> and if he's not back, I'll be devastated. You would have just gone with it. <laughs> no, I literally, like, if you would have asked me what era, I would have been like, currently? Did he graduate? And you also could have been like... The, you played in 1991. The 91 championship <laughs> team anchored by center Kyle Ben. I would have been like, the team on the op, on the defensive and offensive side of the ball was about toughness. Apparently and you have a to guard, look at a player. A center, for the record. Okay. You have to look at a player like Kyle Ben. See, I didn't even know what position he played. Who anchored that offensive well, I think line I said and led them to a national championship. Mm-hmm. Uh, he served as interim offensive line coach during spring 2013, apparently. So that's a thing that happened. <laughs> This is the most Kyle Ben has been talked about on the podcast. <laughs> it's a lot of uh, uh, signed as an undrafted free agent with the Tennessee Titans following the 2002 well, they had a lot NFL of draft. Offensive linemen around that era. Yeah, I suppose that's true. All right, should we get into our search for Seattle's best IPA? Nah, more Kyle Ben talk. I think. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, there is this Husky legend story here from 2018 <laughs> about how Don James recruited Kyle Ben. <laughs> And said you'll be the Husky offensive lineman for the next four decades. Uh, O'Day High School product. Wow, okay, there Shots we go. The He's like Drew Timmy, Kyle Ben. <laughs> He'll never leave. <laughs> he always was and he always will be. Kyle Ben is eternal. Okay, now we, can, now we can talk. Oh, Do yeah. you want to know which coach he actually committed to? Uh, Tyrone Willingham? No, 2001. Oh, I, 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 forgot, I still forgot what year was. <laughs> Jim Lambright. Jim Lambright? <laughs> Jim Lambright. Like we're we're hopping every era of Husky football. That's what Kyle Ben does. <laughs> like when he committed to Jim Owens, he was like, <laughs> wasn't Jim Owens a running back? <laughs> was he on the team also? Jim Owens was the coach. Only the coach. He never I, played. I don't think at UW. No, okay. I, don't, I don't. I don't think so. <sighs> okay, we've gone too far. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's talk about the beers that we are drinking this week. You remember that Dogfather poster my dad used to have in his bedroom? 
It still exists, doesn't it? Three Kyle Bens on it. (laughs) (laughs) One purple rose. That was a good joke. Uh, He played at the University of Oklahoma. Jim Owens, under head coach Bud Wilkinson, is a teammate of future Texas coach Daryl Royal and future UW coach. So. I'm somehow now out on Jim Owens after hearing that. Well, you, you should be out on Jim Owens, but uh, that's a that's a different conversation for another day. Let's remember some Husky coaches. Uh, again, let's get into this week's Search for Seattle's Best IPA. We have a pair of beers, again, this time from two different locations. Hello. So first off, from our friends at Pike Brewing, the Space Needle West Coast IPA. Fitting because we learned today. Wow. That the space, you know, is going back from orange to its traditional white top, I guess. The space, you know, was orange? Yeah, it's been orange for a long period of time. It's part of the 60th anniversary celebrations, but that's that's in the past now. Wow. I didn't even notice that. This is like a <laughs> Kyle Ben situation. <laughs> what are you noticing? You tell me to draw the space, you know, that motherfucker's white. Was this Randy's idea? Because I'll tell you what. Full page ad, Randy. Thank you. The orange or the going back? Going back. I love it. This is like on Parks and Rec when they were trying to figure out the design for what they wanted for like the cards. And then they found the design from the 70s. And they're like, let's just do that again. Randy was like pontificating. What about white? And everybody (laughs) stood up and applauded him. Uh, I don't know if it's intentional or not. The cans do have orange lettering here. Wow. On the... uh... Could, are we supposed to toast, or is this more critical? We can still toast. Okay. Well, we're enjoying this. Can you tell me about, or tell me about this beer? But I also want to hear about Pike Brewing because they are a mystery to me. Pike Brewing. <laughs> I didn't do any research on Pike Brewing. In general. You're gonna have to tell me off the top of your head then. <laughs> uh, this has there's not a lot of information about this on the website, but uh, a, a pine, notes of pine and citrus, and the hops are Cascade, Centennial, Simcoe, and Columbus, which are many of the same hops as. We're in uh, last week's uh, Georgetown beers, I would say. I like this better than I thought I would. It's it's n- kind of mild, I would say. It's not as hoppy. Do you agree with that? Uh, I think I agree with that. It's I think it's flavorful, though. Yes. Oh, it's definitely flavorful. Honestly, I feel like this is... I was going into this assuming that the Georgetown beers... Again, it's a little hard to remember the exact flavor profile of a beer a week later, but... I think that this is more competitive with the Georgetown beers than I anticipated it would be. Uh, Pike Brewing Company, an independent craft brewery founded in 1989 by craft beer pioneers Charles and Rosanne Finkel, located in Seattle's Pike, iconic Pike Place public market neighborhood. Pike Brewing Company is home to two restaurants, the Pike Pub and Pike Fish Bar. Okay, so that was my question was, to me, we haven't talked about the history of craft beer. That's something we have to get into. It definitely is, yes. So we, we've talked about this a little bit. There's like craft beer 1.0, right? That's when your parents were drinking Henry Weinhardt's. They were drinking Red Hook or whatever. I was making fun of somebody the I mean, other Henry day. Henry Weinhardt's goes way back. Henry they're, Weinhardt's is like They're ancient. not even 1.0. Maybe, maybe that's like, they're, they're like prehistoric. In this context, yes. I don't want to say that in a derogatory term to our friends at Henry's. <laughs> but... Then there was like Red Hook, right? Like that era, Red Hook Pyramid, breweries like that, that I think there was a law that established the, that allowed there to be craft brewing. Correct. And this happened like... Around around 
would be maybe a little bit later something than that. like that anyway i was making fun of somebody the other day and i was joking that they were cracking open a couple of red hooky sbs or whatever no offense to the beer but it's sort of just like it, it's like your grandfather's craft beer right I, mean, I don't know if I would go that far. And and Pike Brink, I'll tell you, grandfathers are getting a lot older than they used to. I'm, We're a I'm, lot I'm, closer in age to them than we used to be. I'm aware of that, but the term is your grandfathers, not a grandfathers. That's what I said. Huh? Isn't it? But your grandfather is, is much considerably older than people who are just becoming grandfathers now because we ourselves are very old. I think grandpa probably enjoyed a Red Hook ESB occasionally. You don't think so? I, I don't know. Henry's, yes. Henry's? Yeah. I think Grandpa, Grandpa had a right hook and enjoyed it occasionally. But to me, Pike is one that I was, it was hard for me to establish the timeline for it because I feel like they've almost been like intentionally small for a long period of time. I would agree with that assessment, yeah. So, but we see that their, their roots date back to the 1980s. So they have been around a long period of time, clearly. Are we going to talk about the other beer later? I think that let's have that be the play. Okay. All right, let's get to this week's toast then. Uh, start out, off with an announcement that at long last, <laughs> you have finally gotten together to put in the Doc and Taco Time shirts. Now available online at peltoncast.limitedrun.com. Obviously, we'll have that link in the post notes and I'll also tweet it out. But uh, if you have been waiting your opportunity to get a Talk and Taco Time shirt, the the purple design, uh, a very classic look that I sported the other day. Uh, those are available now for fifteen dollars. Hell yeah! If I'm you've excited. changed that setting, I have. Yes. Okay. Uh, these are very very limited quantity. I can't imagine we're ever going to print them again, right? The Pelton Cast is all about small quantities. Uh, and we're, we're small batch brewing. Yeah, yeah, we're small batch brewing. Uh, we're What's the term? Artificial um, scarcity is what the Pelton cast does. Artificial scarcity. We could print more if we wanted to. Um, but no, the next merch item from the Pelton cast will be different. So this is to celebrate, of course, we didn't know it at the time, the 2023 Pelton cast MVP Talkin' Taco Time. Had to have a shirt in the year of Talkin' Taco Time. There are very few left. Get them as quickly as you can. I'll ship them this weekend. Whatever is ordered, we'll get them out quick. Nice. All right. So again, Peltoncast.limitedrun dot com or check that out on the uh, post note at soniccentral.com slash peltoncast or on twitter and if you are outside of the u.s and want one uh just message us us i will think about it (laughs) (laughs) all right our first first actual toast this week congrats to the seattle thunderbirds on beating the kamloops blazers for the whl western conference title The T-Birds are facing the Winnipeg Ice in the WHL Finals, currently leading 2-1 after winning Tuesday's game in Kent at the Shower Center 6-3. Game 4 Wednesday, Game 5 Friday, with the Thunderbirds having the opportunity to close out at home before the sh- series shifts back to Winnipeg for Game 6 and Should 7. Should I skip Luca's birthday party and just go watch the T-Birds? <laughs> <laughs> you were going to go on Wednesday night? You had to pick Friday night for that? Is Wednesday tonight? To Wednesday is, is tonight as this podcast comes out, yes. Mm, I still like missing the child's birthday party. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> well, since you decreed that adults can't play in the uh, in baseball the, game at his birthday. In oh. the wiffle ball game, you do not, I will tell you, with the curveballs that he throws with the fucking wiffle ball, you don't want to be hitting. Oh, wow. Yeah. No, it would be an embarrassment. I'm always on his team anyway. <laughs> I was thinking that we have to do the same thing, though, where you you and I can still be the coaches. Okay. 
All right, congrats. As long as we can include the Pelton brothers in the birthday party in some capacity. Oh, obviously. Like, if there's a competition, <laughs> the Pelton brothers, the fabulous Pelton brothers are going to be involved. Uh, congrats to UW men's track and field, which claimed its first Pac-12 title ever. Wow. At Sunday's conference championships in Walnut Creek, California, Oregon had won the previous 15 <laughs> Pac-12 championships. But that <laughs> streak is over. You're done, Oregon. You're slow. <laughs> Still quite fast. Uh, the Huskies won seven events, including Brian Fay winning both the 5,000 to clinch it for the Huskies and the 10,000. Former Ducks assistant Andy Powell, who we talked about, is head coach of the men's cross-country team earlier in the year when they were run, uh, running to incredible historic times, serves in that same role for track and field. Wow. And has really just stepped up UW's wow. program across the board. Andy Powell, <laughs> this is incredible. We went into your house and beat you at what you do best. This is like England inventing the sport of soccer and then being futile at it for the next 80 years. This is an incredible feat from the University of Washington. I believe 1966 was in the next 80 years. I believe you mean for the last almost 60 years. (laughs) We're just tacking a few on at the end as insult. Also, we're stealing your players now, too. Um... And wow, you're using we to refer to the U.S. It's true. It's true. I I slipped. (laughs) (laughs) But beating Oregon at track and field, they said it could never be done. Just like the University of Washington winning in Autzen Stadium. But now it's commonplace. It happens all the time. (laughs) Both of those events are frequent (laughs) events that happen. We're Done with you, Oregon. We're never going to cheer for you later on in this podcast. <laughs> well, not Eugene specifically. All right, lastly this week, wanted to say a fond farewell to Big Blue, the original marination truck, which they announced that they are retiring and donating to Seattle Community College for student use in the culinary program. Uh, this this we I did look up. Dates back to 2009 was the start of marination operating as a food truck. I can't remember what the first time was I went there, but it had to be like 2010, 2011, a long, long period ago. Obviously, they continue to thrive, is a brick-and-mortar business now, but uh, (laughs) uh, Big Blue, the truck, sadly no more. Okay, so I I was off about this. I was like, Big Blue, isn't the truck big and silver? I was thinking of the skillet truck Yes, is what I was thinking of. I... The marination truck, I'm trying to think of, because I remember distinctly going to the skillet truck in like early, like 2000, those were, they were around the same time that those two kind of like came about. I mean, that was the start of the food truck era, was coming out of the crash, that 2008, 2009 time period. Um, But the marination truck specifically, I remember going to the Capitol Hill location quite a bit of marination, but I know I went to the truck, I just don't distinctly have a memory of it. Yeah, I mean, I there was a period of time where they used to park in Inner Bay, so we could walk there from the storm offices, and that was when we first went there. And then I remember definitely going uh, when they were across the 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 Montlake Cut in in uh, or the in uh, Ballard. So definitely, definitely many times at the marination truck. This also seemed timely because I listened just today to the Chef Rewatchables which is obviously about starting a food truck at the tail end of this, you know, when they were super trendy in 2014 when that movie came out. It was pretty funny listening to David Chang be vindictive about people where where Bill Simmons was like, 
he was like, nobody would ever yell at a critic like this. And David Chang was like, I would have. <laughs> he also said he didn't have the opportunity to, but also at a different point in the podcast said he did do it to the brother of the actor, Oliver Platt, who plays the food critic in uh-huh. this movie, since his brother is actually a food critic in New York. I was wondering about this. Like, what does David Chang mean now as a celebrity chef? Like, is he still an impressive chef is this still like is he in his like peak era or has he like reached saturation because i'm gonna tell you straight up milk i understand that milk bar is not a david chang business it is not but it's sort of affiliated with david chang right they were originally located yes within i was at grocery outlet and milk bar like truffle cakes or whatever were there at grocery outlet and it's just like they tried it didn't work clearly not that every, everything at Grocery Outlet is amazing. I love every second of being in Grocery Outlet. I would have a podcast dedicated to it. But it also means that on the marketplace, it probably didn't hit. I and mean, I was thinking about... I think that there's a big difference between the stores themselves. Like, they just opened the one in Bellevue. I'm sure it's doing amazing. The milk bar store? Yeah. Okay. I'm sure that they are, but it's sort of like they're not going to reach full saturation. And I feel like the David, the David Chang thing... Still very, very popular, but the world has changed around him. And I feel like that's what we kind of talked about. What you talked about on that podcast, which is the era of food in 2009, 2010 is different than it is now. Yes. I mean, I, but I think that there's room when you reach that level of success to recede and retrench a little bit and still be very successful. Still don't know if they're ever going to open up that Momofuku that they planned at one point in Vancouver. So... Oh, wow. TBD on that one. That would really be successful. But we're going to Vegas in like very soon, shockingly soon. Three weeks, four weeks, somewhere in there. And I will tell you, leading back to this, we're going to Roy Choi's best friend, but we're not going to Momofuku. We haven't ruled out Momofuku. I I still want to go, to be clear. We have two nights there. It's a little bit less of a mandatory. I mean, I, I definitely go there every time that I am in Vegas. So, or for an extended period, at least. Uh, <clears throat> I thought it was interesting where they were talking about, like, also, like, the food truck era is kind of over. And I, I don't know if I agree with that. It's not over. It's just a different thing. Like, there's not the same excitement over it, I don't think, that existed. It was almost like it was, like, a trend and it became, like, bougie food trucks. And that food is always going to make its way back to kitchens. But food trucks were designed initially as more like working class type food. And I do feel like... I don't know if I would say that. I think they always uh, appealed to like white collar employees in the tech industry in particular. And guess what? I'm sure with everyone returning to campus at Amazon, I'm sure that the food truck industry is thriving in South Lake Union at the moment. Okay, fair enough. I do feel like it's become a little bit more... Like those businesses are like a little bit more working class than they were maybe in 2010. They're Possibly. a little bit more. And because the thing is, food trucks are in the suburbs now. You know what I mean? Yes. Like maybe that's not working class, but it's different than if you can only get a food truck, you have to go to fucking Amazon area. It's not as hipster. I think it's not as hipster, but it's also just the accessibility of it is. Like, I can be in the city of Renton, and there can be food trucks, relatively good food trucks, close to me, in a way. Like, the saturation is actually a positive. You know what I mean? Like, the wealthy class hates saturation, 
right? Because they want to gatekeep all these things. But being in the place where food trucks are everywhere, it means that they're more accessible for more people. I think also when you go into the suburbs, a food truck might have it easier to like outcompete the local restaurants, so to speak. Because there's not the same restaurant culture in the suburbs that there is in the heart of the city. Oh, there's Panda Expresses everywhere. <laughs> uh, wanted to show, shout this out quickly while we're on the topic of food. I have not had a chance to try this yet, be, uh, but Lil Woody's special this week, from the along with the Pastry Project, the sweet and spicy chicken sammy with gochujang, uh, a hint of that apparently on there, and then a peach jam. So I'm very much looking this is on a croissant, right? On a croissant, yes. <laughs> I saw that and I was like, okay. Yeah, I I love that. Like treat the treat cookies was there in the comments talking about. Can't wait to try this or something like that. Were they? Yeah. Damn, I love that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. No, they they kind of they kind of did the thing on that one. I saw that croissant and I was like. Okay, I'm in. The Pelton cast could never, but do I want to eat it? Of course I do. We never even considered it. We were trying to be more accessible. Hurry up with my damn croissants. Should we talk about the state of Oregon and their NBA team? Because the Absolutely NBA, we should. Because the NBA draft lottery was on Tuesday with Seattle's Brandon Roy, UW's Brandon Roy, representing the Blazers for the first time since he was on the, the stage in 2007 when... The Northwest landed both top two picks. That is wild. He was there representing the Blazers that yeah. day? Dang. Can you guess who was representing the Sonics in the 2007 draft lottery? Now, oh, some terrific dead air. I'm, j- really, I'm really thinking about this one. Was it, was it a player or a front office person? Front office person. Was it Wally? No, Wally was not involved with the organization at that point. I have no idea. Lenny Wilkins. Oh, of course. I it's both. He's both. He is both a player. Also also a Blazers player and coach uh, wow. from back in the day. <laughs> We're claiming him. That, like, we don't need to mention that. It's like being like Nick Collison also played for the Thunder, too. It's like, I know. I saw him. I, I'll tell it you. It just occurred to me. Me and Nick Collison, we're done. That's it. Representing the Thunder at the draft lottery, like being part of Thunder history, we're finished. We are not. We are not friends anymore. If the Sonics come, not if. Sorry, it's done. We've talked about this repeatedly. But basketball to Seattle is done. And when that happens, when the Sonics come back, do you know who is not part of Sonics history? Nick Collison is not part of Sonic's history anymore. Thank you. You don't get to decide that. I'm deciding it right the fuck now. The second he was on stage for the Thunder, he is out of Sonic's history. Any person who has been part, who has claimed Thunder history, is not part of Sonic's history at that point. I want a bitter team to come back. <laughs> don't the Browns? The Browns still don't put like Baltimore right when they or the wait. Hold on, I'm mixing the teams up. Yeah. Baltimore doesn't do this for the Colts. Oh. I, is that right? I don't know which of the... There's all the teams moved. That is correct. In the, the region. The, yes. But the, I think for... When... <laughs> when the Ravens visit the Colts... No, it's got to be the other round. I don't think that there's any bitterness in Indianapolis towards the Ravens. The, the other way around. I don't know. One of them doesn't like put the. They won't put the like team name. 
that seems possible when it happens i just want like some level of bitterness we want to compete and i want some level of bitterness to be involved okay well, it's that not going to be towards right now today, Nick Collison. Seeing Nick Collison on that stage when they showed the fucking Thunder logo, I cheered when I saw that. And I also cheered as we went into the break. The most exciting moment in sports going into the break, knowing that your team is part of the lottery. Oh, yeah. There's nothing better than that. We, I was standing, right? And it's like one of those moments where you can... You can be so excited and then be so crestfallen so quickly as it happens but so the Blazers end up with the number three pick in the draft moving up two spots what does this mean for the Blazers long term it means they're probably going to trade the pick (laughs) I mean I think I thought it was always very likely that if they didn't get number one that they were going to trade the pick but the way particular way the lottery fell I think makes it dramatically more likely so after the San Antonio Spurs at number one we're going to take Victor Wembanyama. uh-huh uh, then at number two, you have Charlotte. By the way, shouts to Wendy being in France. Come on. Oh, yeah. Wherever there's a good young player, Brian Woodhorse is there. And number three, uh, what is the Blazers? Mm-hmm. So you have two teams that really do not need point guards, where Scoot Henderson is, you know, probably the, the considered by most people the number two prospect in this draft. More than Brandon Miller? Yeah, I think generally speaking, he's ahead. But so if you look at the draft, the mock draft that my ESPN colleague Jonathan Gavoni put out tonight after the lottery, he has Charlotte taking Brandon Miller at number two, which would leave Scoot on the board for the Blazers. And suddenly, like, that's an opportunity for them to get real value for this pick. Because if you're a team that views Scoot Henderson as, like, good enough to be the number one pick in a draft that didn't have... Exactly. A non-Wemby draft. Like a normal NBA draft, right? You have have a handful of drafts where there's once-in-a-generation player, right? You have a clear-cut number one. Sometimes the once-in-a-generation player goes third and the picks get traded. I'll, I'll tell you. I mean, I... He wasn't one of them because of that. But it's LeBron, no, AD, NBA, the NBA Zion. teams are not run by generational GMs, as it turned out. Are these the right players though? LeBron, AD, Zion, Wemby. Yeah, kind of right. Of the last like two decades. Yeah, I mean Odin, I, Odin. I think Odin and Durant both were actually considered in that tier. But there was a there was a conversation between the two. I think it was sort of like those two were at a different level. Yes. But so we're not talking about that many players ever. So in a normal draft where a lot of very good players have gone number one, Paolo Bencaro is a great player who went number one. Yeah. Don't ask you. But like, if you ask anybody else in basketball. <clears throat> Didn't say he was a great player. Um, <laughs> but most people consider Paolo Bencaro great number one pick. Right. <laughs> and for Scoot in a different draft, he could be that guy. He almost likely would be that guy. Is he like a John Wall type player? I think more Derrick Rose stylistically than John Wall. I mean, MVP right there. I mean, I, like that's obviously an incredibly good outcome for him. But in terms of that physical profile at his age, it is a lot, you know. Uh, Westbrook is also kind of in that group, De'Aaron Fox, guys like that. And he doesn't come out that well in my statistical projections based on his production in the G League, but... If you look at a lot of players who have outperformed those, often it tends to be those kind of uh, uber-athletic point guards who thrive when they get in the better floor spacing of the NBA. Okay. So The G League doesn't have good floor spacing? 
the Ignite did a better job with that this season. They put some, you know, shooting specialists around him. But didn't they have like three top ten picks on the team this year? Yeah. No. Who are the two brothers? The, those players, Amon and Asar Thompson, play for overtime elite. Not oh, a G League. Diff- not a. Are they a G League team? No. Okay. This is a totally independent program. Okay. It's just wild now. Yes. <laughs> so. The, Don't tell Kyle Ben about this. Uh, Leonard Miller. <laughs> Times are different than when he was in college in the 60s. <laughs> Leonard Miller from the G League Ignite team is also likely to be a first round pick this year. And they just brought in kind of some veteran shooters. Um, John Jenkins was part of that team, like one time NBA first round pick. Okay. But the follow up question is so you're saying Scoot's going to be there. A good chance Scoot is there, number three. I, I mean, Charlotte may take Scoot. Someone may trade with Charlotte for Scoot. But but Brandon Miller is there at number three. So I'm saying if, if Brandon Miller is there, I think it makes it somewhat less likely the Blazers would trade the pick because Miller is someone who could come in and actually help them win immediately. Really? Yeah, I mean, like, he's not going to be great as a rookie. That's he's not going to fix their cap problems also. No, but he's he would immediately probably start for them at small forward. Okay. And he's six foot nine and can defend, you know, players well and is a good shooter, like... Every team can use a Brandon Miller. The question is just kind of whether he has superstar upside because okay. of his shot creation. But again, if you're the Blazers, that's maybe not as important to you in terms of helping Damian Lillard win is your floor right now. Okay. So if Brandon Miller is there, I think it's more li- less likely they trade the pick. If Scoot is there, I think it is highly likely they trade the pick. And they don't again, need more guards. <laughs> that the Blazers have done the thing with guards. That they could have access to like really good players. Who, with that pick. who are the players? OG Ananobi is going to be the most likely name, I think, to come up. And what's interesting about this is we've heard teams throwing multiple first-round picks and offers to Toronto for OG. But, you know, those are teams that are generally pretty competitive. You don't expect, you know, maybe those are lottery-protected picks. Maybe they're not. You don't expect any of them to be this good a pick. So even one first-round pick, if it's number three overall, could trump multiple first-round picks from other teams. Is OG that dude? I mean, if you're, like, looking in terms of fit with Portland and who could help you win the most next season, he's pretty high on that list, I think. What I about mean, long-term? Well, How the, old is he? He's young. Like, I think he's, like, 25. Okay. You, the concern is that he's only under contract for one more year and would be difficult to extend. So you'd have to because resign Because of being him. traded or because of, like... Uh, I th- the trade restrictions are lessened in the new CBA. I don't know for sure if that kicks in right away, but it's more that even a 40% raise, which is now the most you can offer a player, is still not enough to beat what OG Ananobi, Ananobi will probably get on the open market because he's only scheduled to make $18.6 million next season. But can't they can't max him out for more? They could in free agency. It's just a risk that you'd have to let him get to free He'd agency. He'd have to go to free agency. But and then they can pay him more than the other team can? That is a risk they took this year with Jeremy Grant. So it's not something that would be unprecedented, certainly. What does... Okay, there's two questions. And we're probably talking too much about a team from Portland. But I'm excited. I Knowing that the Blazers, they have Shaden, right? Like... They've got a young player that they're going to develop. You told me that you thought they were going to trade him. Now it seems maybe less likely. I mean, he played well enough at the end of the season that that changes changes the situation. And then also, you know, part of the reason, I mean, I think if you were to do a trade like this, it's very possible that Anthony Simons could be evolved, both in terms of matching salary and, and because of the fact that, 
you know, if you do add another <clears throat> perimeter player, you've got Jaden Sharp and Damian Lillard. Like, it starts to be a bit of a crowd there. We're the Blazers in these two scenarios where it's basically the same team, but it's plus OG Anunoby, and it's basically the same team, but it's plus Brandon Miller. Where are they next year and maybe the year after that? I mean, I don't think Brandon Miller changes their life next season. Like, they're still in that mix fighting for a spot in the play-in. You know, how quickly he develops. You know, maybe you can start to progress from there. But you can also see a young core between Shaden and Brandon Miller. Right. So, OG, OG next year, I mean, the West, first off, there's a lot to come, and the West is going to be difficult to predict. I mean, like, what is Dallas going to be like next season with a full season of Kyrie and, and Luka Doncic? Were they better with those two players? No, they were worse, but <laughs> they also were not healthy, but necessarily. Maybe it'll That's... work for us. <laughs> But say like, time. if you're if you're the Blazers, you can't confidently say, "Oh yeah, for sure we're going to be better than the team that has Luka Doncic and Kyrie Irving." But also, like, what are they competing for at that point? Like, Dame is not getting younger. Is there any possibility that this pick leads them to trade Dame? I think that's. I just don't think that's something they're going to explore until or unless that it's something that Damian Lillard asked for. Okay. So. I mean, maybe if they drafted Scoot Anderson with this pick, then Dame would be like, They wouldn't draft yeah, Scoot guys. without Dame. Like, they would have to. Dame is involved enough in the organization that they would have to be like, we're trading you for these six draft picks or whatever, and we're just going to draft Scoot. I mean... This could be a window for the Dame to request the trade very seamlessly. It, it would be. It's kind of not totally dissimilar to, like, it became easier for the Pelicans to trade Anthony Davis... Once they knew they were getting Zion Williamson. Uh-huh. So. Okay. I still don't see that coming. You think Dame is a lifer for the Blazers? I didn't say he thought he was a lifer. I don't see him requesting a trade this offseason. You think he's going to give it a go at least for another year or two with this roster generally as it is? If I'm a Blazers fan, what do I want to happen? Do I want them just to stick there and take Brandon Miller? Or take Scoot? I mean, Miller sort of threads the needle, perhaps, the best in terms of, again, as compared to anyone they could have gotten if they were fifth or sixth. He's more likely to help them next season, but also can be part of a future core. But it also might be a scenario where it kind of leaves you in that unhappy middle where you're not good enough to compete next year, and still you're counting on what you get in a, a Dame trade to build the core up. That's Blazers basketball, baby. Uncle the Phil unhappy middle. middle. Oh, wow. Well, it's been really, look, we've had almost two decades of this now. We understand what it's like. I don't know if I would say that. Has there ever been a moment where you're like, we're winning it all this year or the team is awful? There's no, there basically no, but has I mean, not if you been look a at season. The Roy Aldridge era or you're the, like one series. <laughs> We've got one series in us. But you're like, this team has the potential to compete for a championship. If you're really, really positive. I mean, I I had high expectations for that team, high hopes for that team. And obviously, like, it's also been a didn't long time it. since those two, te- two players were playing together. Fair. It's not been two decades. I'm just saying, it's been a long time that the Blazers have been in, like, I mean, the fucking Spurs always figured out, right? Like, the Spurs have had some bad years now, but the Spurs having a couple of bad years, being competitive for most of the decade, 
and I mean, then, they were even in the play-in two years ago. This was the only year that they were really non-competitive. The string of David Robinson to Tim Duncan to Wemby as he is, boom, 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 right? Like, it's kind of incredible what the Spurs have pulled off. But I think it's important to understand perspective. Like, if you're a Detroit Pistons fan, granting that you had the number one pick a couple of years ago, you're looking at it and saying that we went 17-65, and 65, had the worst record in the league, and we're picking behind this Blazers team that just basically tanked their way into fifth in the last month of the season. So, it's all relative. Anything else in the Blazers? I guess I weep for the Pistons. I don't don't think things are going to go well for them. That was when they came up five. I was like, oh, sorry. uh, Well, that's when you knew the Blazers jumped up. Exactly. But it was a little bit of like, oh, sorry, Pistons. Which was somebody... Like Houston, if it would have been Houston, I'd been like... Although Houston's in a pretty uncomfortable position also, right? Well, they're in a complex position. Because they're going to sign James Harden. It seems quite possible. <clears throat> they certainly seem to think so. All right. Should we do Should we do this beer before we get into anything else? Sure. Let's crack this open. Uh, any other Anything else to say <clears throat> on the uh, Space Needle West Coast IPA? I'm curious to try beer number two and... T- Consider them in head to head. Yeah, uh, the citrus flavor is very strong in the, the West Coast Space Needle West Coast IPA. What, okay, can I ask what makes it a West Coast IPA? Uh, so West Coast is a, like the type of hops basically okay. distinguish it for the most part, and whether they specifically are called West Coast IPAs or not, <clears throat> IPAs made in Seattle are generally going to use those hops. Okay, so. All right, so the two beers from our friends at Two Beers Brewing Company, the Wonderland Trail IPA, inspired by the Wonderland Trail, an exhilarating 93-mile trek around Mount Rainier. This beer honors the treasures of the Pacific Northwest, blended Washington-grown Amarillo, Citra, Mosaic, and Cascade hops. The sweet aroma of tangerine is followed by a wave of citrus and passion fruit. There we go. Man, that sounds great. It does sound great. I agree. I saw Mount Rainier today driving along. I'm just like, (laughs) nothing better than the summer in the Northwest. The mountain was out. Especially when the summer comes in mid-May. Very, very unusual situation. Wow, totally different beer than the last one. It's interesting because it's not as strong as citrus flavor, in my opinion. Wow, I was going to say it was more citrusy. Wait, really? You think so? All right, I still have a little more of this. That's kind of wild. This, to me, the pike one, you could taste hops a little bit more. And this, the two beers one, is a, it's a smoother, sort of like washed over taste. Would you agree with that? I mean, it's got a little bit more of an intense aftertaste to me, I would say. There's nothing that's like one flavor that's really strong and stands out. We need Zach Jabal to give us our Jordan McKay of IPAs. Maybe he is the Jordan McKay of IPAs. Tell us exactly what we should be looking for. That was the other thing, by the way, when I was watching Chef. I was like, oh, man, the bark on that on that brisket. Oh, that's good at, bark. At, at Franklin Barbecue. Oh, you could just tell. I would say these are pretty radically different beers, though, considering they are both what would be considered West Coast IPAs. The Pike one, I would say, is more sharp, much more hoppy. I see. See, I don't necessarily think this. Whereas the two beers one, to me, is much more muted. It's like a I. I think the two the two beers one is a more like. Everything is merged together into one flavor palette. Mm-hmm. 
rather than the Pike IPA. I think things stand out a little bit more. Do you feel like either of these is a competitor for Seattle's best IPA? Oh, I really like this two beers one. Huh. I feel like I prefer the, the Space Seattle. They were both pretty good. Interesting. I got to say. All right, well, I also don't understand how people drink IPAs without having a terrible headache the next day. I, maybe that's just me, but like IPAs in particular, my head will hurt from drinking them. I don't know if necessarily that's an issue. Uh, with that, I think it's time for your favorite segment. Don't burn yourself. We got Mariner's hot takes coming at you. Everyone has been talking about Zelda lately. Oh, the game is great. But you know what Triforce I'm more excited about? Bryce Miller, George Kirby, and Logan Gilbert. The best fucking young pitching staff in baseball ever. <laughs> the only tears that are being spread in this kingdom are from American League batters trying to hit this young staff. And here's a link to the past. We're talking with this young staff. They make the 2000s A's. 1990s Braves, pitching staffs look like dubious food. These are some Hyrule Warriors right here. Bryce Miller walked straight out of nowhere and pulled the Master Sword out of stone. He has been unstoppable and must-see TV with a sure-to-continue 18-to-1 strikeout-to-walk ratio and a 421 whip. His start makes 2000 Pedro look like Tingle. Kirby is steady and dominant, and don't let Logan Gilbert's ERA fool you. With his FIP at 2.68 and strikeout-to-walk ratio at 10+, hitters are looking like they're playing Boko baseball when he pitches. So, with this young staff plus Castillo, you don't need to lift a rock to find a Korok underneath to find the best young core in baseball history. It's right here in Seattle. I understand about a third of those references. <laughs> yeah, to Bryce Miller, George Kirby, <laughs> exactly. and Logan Gilbert. <laughs> uh, I will tell you, I said last week. So which one of them is power? Which one of them is wisdom? Which one of them is courage? Power is Bryce Miller. Okay. Wisdom is George Kirby. Mm, wisdom might be Logan Gilbert. I feel like Logan Gilbert is more wisdom in this. And in this courage is George Kirby. You just had to, you Googled Triforce really fast. I did. <laughs> I did. <laughs> You stole some of my Bryce Miller stats. I don't like that. I will tell you straight up. Bryce Miller is maybe the greatest pitcher in the history of baseball. Honestly, statistically, it's kind of uh, 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 undebatable. You know, the important thing is to recognize that sample size is a myth and is a regression to the myth. Uh, you mentioned his whip, 0.42 thus far. The Per Alex Mayer of the Mariners, the lowest through a player's first three starts with at least 15 total innings pitched in Major League Baseball history. History. That's what I said. History. <laughs> Excluding nobody. Uh, yeah, you mentioned the 18-to-1 strikeout-to-walk mm -hmm. ratio. Fuck you, Gary Wood. Fuck you, Mark Pryor. <laughs> One run allowed through, the, through those three starts. Uh, the Mariners with Bryce Miller solidifying that fifth spot in the rotation have not had a start of fewer than five innings in all of May thus far, with just three of those fewer than six innings. <clears throat> So, it's kind of incredible, but I do think so. I said a week ago, everybody was talking about the Mariners' pitching staff being one of the best pitching staffs ever, right? As I just hotly taked. 
It was a real old chicks Tristan move to go from, eh, they don't seem like they're pitching that good to best young core of all time. Well, that was, there's been at least one Miller start since then, maybe two. And I agree. Like, it was unfortunately a very bad Luis Castillo start on on Tuesday night. Dude, I just straight up Fenway Park should not exist. That's a take for you. How do you have that porch in right field? And they just just kept hitting balls out there. And it's like, that was like a routine fly ball. Taylor Trammell also got a home run from it. So it's not like we can't complain that much, but like, come on, people. Move the fence back. (laughs) I think the reason that the pitching staff has seemed like they haven't been as good as they are statistically, this is a little bit of like anti-fun differential stuff, is Logan Gilbert is having a pretty dominant season statistically and by like, by advanced statistically and by old school statistics, Logan Gilbert is having a kind of bad season, or at least a, like a mediocre season. Yeah, he's having a fine season. Th- that to me ZRA. is the biggest difference between almost everybody is right around their FIP, and for whatever reason, whatever, and, and it's shocking because of how many batters he's striking out. It's not, it's just for the balls are falling or going out of the park for Logan Gilbert when otherwise they shouldn't be. And he's kind of the only one. Yeah. In the staff. It's not like Castillo is. It's not like Marco Gonzalez is. I went and checked everybody just to be like, is this a thing that's happening across the board? Is it a board? defensive thing? Yeah. It's, I mean, no. the defense is good. It's just Logan Gilbert. Yeah. And that is a thing that it's fucking May, right? Despite what the weather might tell you. <laughs> that, <laughs> look, no complaints. 10 out of 10. Maybe 15 out of 10. Uh, I think that's, that is what has made the difference from statistically, this is like one of the best starts ever for I mean, a pitching staff versus the feel of it. Like I looked at his last five starts and it's like four and runs, five and runs. You know, it, he hasn't had like a dominant game. Logan Gilbert is the difference between them feeling dominant. And other, and also Bryce Miller's only made three starts. And so as Bryce Miller keeps going, he starts the all-star game. He's starting the World <laughs> Series, like 27 strikeouts for the first time ever. Um, the first that, the first time since the scout. <laughs> In the scout struck out everybody? I'm pretty sure that's the, the ending of it. What is the scout? Wait, I don't even know this movie. You don't know this movie? I'm more familiar with Rookie of the Year over here, but there's a play. I mean, I haven't watched this movie in comfortably three, de- two and a half decades. Who's in the scout? I forget who plays the pitcher. I want to say Brendan Fraser, but I don't. I thought it was Brendan Fraser. Okay, too. is there uh, a monkey like Mickey Mantle's monkey involved? <laughs> what? I don't. I think you're thinking of friends. Uh, Logan Gilbert's war is not actually that high. He's only got half a war thus far. So he's got as many as Easton McGee. So I don't think that's necessarily the issue per se. I think that's a good sign for the Mariners pitching staff going forward that everyone else is not outperforming their FIP other than Bryce Miller is a little bit. It's 1.57. It still would be the greatest of all time. (laughs) It still would make... Stop. Early He's pager. like, you know that dude, Roki Sasaki in Japan, where people just tweet stats. Nobody has ever seen any of the games. Tungsten Marmo Doyle. They literally just like tweet stats about Roki Sasaki, and you're like, something is happening in Japan, right? Bryce Miller is better. <laughs> We're seeing it right here in Major League Baseball. Roki Sasaki sucks compared to Bryce Miller. Everybody sucks compared to Bryce Miller. He's the perfect baseball player. Horse but fair. Pitcher. I think he maybe should start hitting. <laughs> I don't think he should, actually. <laughs> I, I just wouldn't rule it out. I was intrigued to see uh, Masataka Yoshida 
play for the Red Sox today because I had served his name last offseason in free agency but had never seen him play. And he's, he's very undersized, but you took advantage of that short porch. About okay. seeing a play. What, this is Fair. fucking Nick Calls and shit. Fair. Like. <laughs> Fair. You're like, I really appreciated that Oregon won their 16th uh, running championship. <laughs> what are you talking about? I don't think the Red Sox are our enemy in this one. They're not the Oregon in this situation. Everybody is our enemy on this one. For a Japanese baseball player, it's been a while since the Mariners have signed one. You say Kikuchi is not walking through that door. That's, that's fair. I asked Luca to name another Japanese player that the Mariners had. He failed miserably. He said Hideki Matsui. We need to double his 2001 Mariners uh, research. I'll tell you straight up. I was like, there's a lot of them. I would have taken Mikado Suzuki. Kenji Jojima. Kenji Jojima. Kazuhiro Sasaki. Yeah. And Yusei. Right? Is that every Japanese player? No, there has to be more than that. Who's played in the majors? For the Mariners? Yeah. Did Mikado Suzuki pitch in the majors? I'm pretty sure at some point he did. Uh, he was an important player. In our lifetime. Um, Same with Ryan Anderson. I do not still have to sign <laughs> sign baseball with the Mikado Suzuki autograph. Did Shigatoshi Hashigawa pitch for the Mariners after his prime? He might have. That's different, though. Sure. It's still a Japanese player. Anyway, also, I'm just saying. Also, up. the position player that they gave the most money to, right? And before AJ Pollock, the most money in free agency in the Jerry Depoto era. Wasn't that a Japanese player? Was it? Or am I misremembering this entirely? I thought it was Sean Figgins. No. <laughs> <laughs> Not the Jerry DePono era. <laughs> oh, boy. Wait, look up who that person was, because I've forgotten who that was. I anyway. I don't really know how to look this up, but... The... You just... The Mariners, Japanese players. <laughs> okay. The... <clears throat> the loss today aside, I do feel like things are trending in the right direction for the Mariners. And I, I don't know what their advanced odds are of making the playoffs, but if I had to give a vibes odds of making oh. the playoffs, I feel like there's a pretty good chance right now. I feel like the like vibes odds from just watching the team and seeing how they're evolving, they're figuring out the team right now. Like Scott Service is figuring out the roster. 10 and 6 in the last 16 games. I feel like it's like a 75%. Oh, wow. That's very high. There are a lot of very uh, good still has it at 26%. There are a lot of very good teams in the AL East. I think that's the more complicated issue is the amount of teams that they have to get past. I think every single team in the AL East is ahead of them right now. I did not realize that. That is correct. They are all ahead of them. I did not realize the Red Sox were playing that well. That's, a, that's part of why I didn't think they were a rival. I assumed the Red Sox were playing terribly because I saw the... ERAs of their projected starters for the next two games on the broadcast last night. And they the were funny not good. thing is, despite what Mar the Mariners and Mariners Twitter might tell you, hitting is actually more important than pitching. So have, having a lot of hits and scoring a lot of runs is a little bit more important than having the best pitching of all time. I appear to have just invented this this player that they <laughs> money to. I'm trying to think of who it was, who their biggest signing it was. It was somebody hilarious. It's in the AJ Pollock notes, I'm pretty sure. Yeah. We, no, it was somebody funny. When they signed AJ Pollock. So I, I can dig this up if I uh, go back far enough here. Uh, but they're definitely not a Japanese player, as it turns out. No, I guess it was not in the AJ Pollock notes. Quite surprising. Okay. Uh, should we talk about the Kraken? 
Oh, I did want to mention Julio moved out of the leadoff spot the day after the last podcast when we discussed his slow start. Since he's then, been hitting the ball so hard, I just swear to God, uh, Julio's fine. Seven of twenty-four, three walks, a home run in the last week. So yeah, I agree that things are fine. Should we talk about the Seattle Kraken season coming to an end in their second game seven in his mini playoff series? A two-one loss Monday at Dallas. You actually watched the entirety of? No, definitely not. Oh, okay. How much of it did you watch? I I started in the second-ish period. I, I checked in and out. You did not miss any scoring in this first period. It was one of those Unlike, things where I was watching the Mariners game, and I was like, I can feel that something good is about to happen. I thought that today, too, and it did not. Actually, I did, and then they had their forward inning, but then I thought it again, and then it didn't. But I was like, something good is about to happen. I'm going to weed this out. And then, like, Cal Raleigh hits a homer, and I'm like, I made the right call. Homer from both sides of the plate, the first catcher in the history of Fenway Park to do it's, that in game. We're getting a little bit into, like... Very granular. Yeah. <laughs> Look, this is what Alex Mayer is doing, okay? I d- who, who is Alex Mayer? He's part of their sports information department. Can we have Alex Mayer on the pod? I, well, I suppose we can ask. Is Alex Mayer on Twitter? Yes. Let's fucking do it. He follows me on Twitter, so there's a chance here. Alex Mayer is a fucking legend, right? I agree. Right? The person from sports radio said that I invented the take. We all agree. And <laughs> Alex Mayer invented the stat. The hot take. You invented the hot take. The hot take. Uh, Alex Mayer invented the stat. He does terrific work. Let's fucking... Because people ran with that stat. They did. I agree they ran with that people stat. People were like... It was like, like big thing. baseball reporters were like history being made at Fenway. And I'm like... I guess. <laughs> I mean, it's history in, in as much as any at bat. There's like a TikTok that's like random baseball moments. It's like. Well, did you see the thing on Twitter the other night where uh, the MLB app started like giving people score updates from games from the 1980s or something? <laughs> I forget exactly that's what it was. That's literally history. <laughs> it is history. There's like a Julio Franco like fouls the ball off <laughs> in June. Just like random MLB moments. And you're like, yeah, this is history. Somebody is recording this. Oh. This is being recorded, so anyway. So this is our Kraken section. We're having him on the pod. <laughs> All right, I'll, I'll send DM. Uh, you didn't miss any scoring in that first period, largely because Philip Grubauer was completely shutting down Dallas for a long period of time. I was standing so on his head for not watching the first period of hockey. I'm sorry, but having a whole you period some excitement. Into a break, <laughs> we need to talk hockey. You it's not great. Ex- you missed some excitement on Saturday in Game 6 when the Kraken won at home 6-3 to extend the series. Uh, but the Stars got the opening goal midway through the second period from Rope Hintz. Uh, and then Wyatt Johnson doubled the lead with 7-12 left in the third period, forcing the Kraken to pull Grubauer. Still with the extra attacker, did not find the net until Oliver Bjorkstrand scored with 19 seconds remaining. And that that just was not really enough time to mount a real effort at a comeback. But it was fun though. It was. I mean, playing hockey for sure. You can't you tell me it playing wasn't fun. soccer. Come on. Oh, it was. But if it had been like a minute left, you would have been like, okay, there's a chance. Oh, I thought there was a chance. They had like they, they had, had one, one good yeah they had one good shot. Don't underrate how good of a shot they had. Uh, they saw the darkness a little bit too hard. That's true. Sometimes you see a little bit too much darkness. Sometimes you see all of the darkness. 
but stole the crack and finished with a minus goal, one goal differential in the playoffs, playing against two of the NHL's best teams uh, in the, the Central Division bracket. An incredible run by the Kraken that I think has just kind of has grown probably some lifelong hockey fans in the city of Seattle and at least has, and has engaged the casual fan base in a De way Holy. that their first season didn't. Who? Deholi. Sasi Iwakuma we forgot about. Okay. Deholi is Korean, though. That right. is, yeah, that is, he is not Japanese now. I'm really trying to find who this player was. It, it was not him. I, I don't know, remember who it was anymore. Was it Ken Giles? Is there a chance that it was Ken Giles? No, it definitely wasn't Ken Giles. Okay. Do you want me to look this up? I'm just, I, I'm just fascinated at this point, to be honest. By the way, the uh, scoreboard in Baltimore refuses to refer for refer to Indianapolis as the Colts. It only refers to them as Indy, even though all other teams are referred to but by team nickname. I, see, that's what I'm about. So In Baltimore? Yes. These motherfuckers have won two Super Bowls, and they're still upset about it. Yeah. That's what I'm looking for. It's not like they're ignoring the present, right? They've won two Super Bowls. They're the best defense of all time. They have Lamar Jackson, and they still hate the Colts. That's what I want. I want to be winning championships and to personally hate Oklahoma City and, sorry, Nick Collison, Nick Collison personally forever. Oh, you know what? It was someone Japanese. Who was it? Nori Aoka. Oh, Nori Aoka. Aoki, I Aoki. should Nori, Norichiko Aoki. All right. So, all right. I, that was stuck somewhere in the recesses of my brain. And not enough so that I recognized his name when I was looking at a list of Japanese players in Major League Baseball because I do not remember that this person ever played for the Mariners. It was a nice run. <laughs> it was not my Mariners. The 2016 Mariners are not part of my Mariners history, I would say. Uh, Jerry DePoto's been around for that long. Yeah. Uh, let's re- really is turn this team into basically the same as they were, but there's more playoff spots. They're younger. <laughs> <laughs> no point during the the Zorensic era where you're afraid of the team is having the best young starters in trio and <laughs> like baseball. Like it's only three starts from Bryce Feller. Oh, now it's only <laughs> three starts. But we're all excited about Felton and Celestin. That's what we're about. Just give me 16 years old and Dominican. We're good. Uh, so let's look ahead with the Kraken. Vince Dunn is their most notable free agent, having averaged more than 23 minutes of ice time in the playoffs as part of their defensive top line. Uh, he will be restricted. Uh, GM Ron Francis said after the trade deadline, the Kraken had decided to put off extension talks with Dunn until after the season. So that's certainly a possibility. Uh, reserve defenders Will Borgen, who is also restricted, also had some extension talks. And Carson Soucy are also free agents. Is our center Ryan Donato and winger Daniel Sprong. Another interesting free agent is backup goaltender Martin Jones. With Grubrauer's strong playoff run really establishing him as the Kraken's number one going forward. And Chris Rieger now a year removed from the ACL. Terry suffered from Team Canada la- for Team Canada last summer. Seems unlikely Jones would be back, but... Uh, We'll see exactly where they are in that. Kraken should have some cap space to play with, I think, in free agency this offseason to continue continue adding to this group. I still think the biggest mistake that they can make is saying we're good. Is they win these two series, both as underdogs, and and being like, this is the team that can take us to the Stanley Cup final. Because I don't think that's it. And I really do think 
watching this game against the Stars, the Stars, even if they'd won this game seven, the Kraken were not going to the Stanley Cup Finals. Like, the I mean, f- they could have because it's hockey and shit is very exactly. random in the playoffs. But, like, but yes, they were not as good as Dallas. Over Dallas the is a series. better team. We were on the phone and it's like the Kraken scored, and you're like, the Stars scored. <laughs> they they are they have the firepower that those teams have, right? That Winnipeg and Vegas and Dallas that these teams have. I think you're thinking of Edmonton. Edmonton, uh huh. Yeah, Canada. No, not Winnipeg. The whole the whole country. That Edmonton. And Vegas and Dallas that they have, it's different than the Kraken, right? They don't, but Matty Beniers is obviously very, very young. I mean, that's the, so the interesting thing is like, this team was actually not that young. Like people would often refer to the Kraken as a young team and they are young in the sense that it was only their second year as an organization, <laughs> but the the players on the team weren't necessarily that young. I mean, they're still mostly made up of players that they got through the expansion draft. Right. But Beneer is, is kind of, he's the timeline, I would oh, say. God. Every time you say somebody's the timeline, oh, then we no. don't sign Trey Turner. I, I don't know that Trey Turner is going to be an option for the crack, and he's already under contract in baseball. Making <laughs> <laughs> a lot of money there, way more than he would. Who knows if he could even skate? <laughs> can't even skate. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but Beneers was one of their best players this season. Didn't have a great postseason necessarily, but. He's 20. Like, there's a lot of upside there. And to me, Trey Turner is playing just fine right now. <laughs> like, I would maybe take J.P. Crawford. The The biggest mistake to me they could make is being too obsessed with we have to be good in 2024 as opposed to continuing to think somewhat long-term. And they have, you know, extra draft picks in this year's draft still from the previous trade deadline. So I don't think they're going to do that. But J.P. Crawford outwarring. J.P. Crawford's war is always, like, deceptively good. He's playing really well this season. I, I've, when they moved up to leading off, I was like, yeah, I'll take it. Still a lot of Mariners talk in this Kraken segment. He is uh, outwarring Trey Turner so far. There so you, you could take a W on that one. Nobody else, but, like, <laughs> that's one. You can't take a W on that the Mariners are probably going to pay Shohei because we'll see. We sure will. See, they have a billion dollars. I still, I just want it to hit a billion, just because it'd be fascinating. I mean, is there is that a possibility? A twenty-year billion-dollar contract? I don't even know if it needs to be a twenty-year billion-dollar contract. Okay, he's Shohei. I mean, he he is uniquely skilled in, in baseball. What was the Aaron Judge contract? What was the Aaron Not Judge contract? Not that far off. Of a billion dollars? I'm pretty sure it was. How much do you think they're making on an annual basis? Uh, $360 million. Yeah, That's a lot off from a billion, man. It's definitely going to be 500 plus. 500 I would concede. Like, there's not even a conversation that it's going to be 500 plus. I mean, maybe Shohei doesn't necessarily want that long of a contract, but that's the only reason not to. The Mariners will approach him with like a two-year deal. <laughs> <laughs> they'll, they'll, be, they'll be like, look, we have we have a lot of money tied up in 2027. It's we like, can only sign you for two years. It's like a mock-off season where one of us is like, what are you thinking about a two-year deal? <laughs> do they do an MLB mock-off season? Has anyone coffee dunked on in, the, in baseball? That's a great question. They should. Should I be a part of that one too? Just extend it. You know nothing about baseball. Doesn't but... matter. <laughs> 
I know mock off seasons. I'm, wow. Who else is on That's two mock off seasons? With your knowledge of mock off seasons, not baseball or baseball contracts? <laughs> no, absolutely not. <laughs> Learn that. I like it. You're like, yeah, the Mariners are going to sign Shohei. I think. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Any other last two thoughts years, on the Kraken? Hundred million? Kraken, again, the team that currently has reached, just reached the, the conference lost. semifinals. I have no more thoughts on this team. They're done. We're not talking about them for like another six months. We're going to do an off-season preview at some point. <clears throat> Didn't we just do it? We'll do a real one at some point. For With someone who understands you're hockey. Gonna, you're going to tell me about all the fucking players in the WHL or other hockey players that they're going to sign? I know more about Nori Aoki than I know about any other hockey players. The The maximum amount of hockey players I know are Odd- Ottinger and Jamie Benn, period. <laughs> Not even Joe Favelski. That didn't sink in. He I scored think, the most goals in the series. I've definitely forgotten every other. I don't even remember the team they played in the first round. <laughs> All right, guess. It's taking way too long. <laughs> the segment or are you coming up with the answer? Coming up with the answer. I actually don't remember. Uh, okay. It's the Colorado Avalanche. Oh, that yes. Avalanche, yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah. Could I name a player from the Avalanche? Can you name a player from the Avalanche? Kale McCarr. Okay, yeah, I remember him. He was the dude who fucking hurt our player. Nathan McKinnon? Me and McCarr enemies. <laughs> oh, I mean, I, fair. He's, he's basically Nick Collins enemy. <sighs> Boy. All right, let's How talk about the Sounders. Him? We literally are friends. Oh, so, friends. Sounders crashed out of the U.S. Open Cup in Carson with reverse You didn't warn me. And Tacoma Defiance players in the starting 11 against an LA Galaxy team that started Chicharito, among other starters. <laughs> Sounders fell behind early again on a score outside the box in the third minute. Then a lot of second in the 66th minute before pulling one back shortly thereafter with Paul Rothrock heading home Ethan Dobelair's delivery. But Galaxy put it away with a third goal in the 84th minute. Probably like too close. <laughs> I don't know if I would say that necessarily. It's like definitely they brought a knife to a fist fight. It's, that's, that's true. Uh, on Saturday, the Sounders were in Houston to face the Dynamo, where the teams waited out a 45-minute lightning delay shortly after starting. The Dynamo were then reduced to 10 men in the 21st minute for a high boot call on VAR, and then to 9 for a second yellow card in the 78th minute. Seattle native Paul Rothrock, again promoted on a short-term contract and subbed in minutes before, finished a cross that went through a crowd to get get to him in the 87th minute to give the Sounders the long-awaited breakthrough. All right, that's an iconic move points. from Paul Rothrock. It, that it is very such much is. a good play from a player from Seattle that you didn't vote uh. him for Rookie of the Year. <laughs> wow. I don't know if he's going to be eligible for MLS Rookie of the Year. I think yeah. he's only allowed to play in two more games this well, season. I mean, Walker Kessler somehow was eligible. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the Sounders are in action Wednesday their first midweek MLS match of the season is they host Austin FC. Austin comes in 12th in the West Indies with less than a point per match after finishing second last year. This is more, I like this better. Like, look, love Austin. No offense to the city. They should not have finished second in the West in MLS in their first season or whatever. They're not even in the Pacific Northwest. 
and losing in the conference finals. They've gotten just two goals thus far from Sebastian Jurisi, who had 22 last year. They've got that second. incredible bark. Yeah, it's true. They don't need MLS think goals. Of, think of our bark in MLS. Uh, Jurisi has missed we the last two games. We did our barbecue search because the barbecue wasn't good enough. No, that's not why we have been. If we were in fucking Austin, Texas, we would not even do a barbecue search. We would be sponsored by a barbecue. That's fair. It would be the Pelton cast sponsored by, probably not Franklin Barbecue, but like, I don't know, maybe. Depends whether they liked our vibes. Is Aaron Franklin like sports? No one does. Who I'm sure Aaron Franklin likes sports. He's probably very bummed about Austin FC being 12th in the West. <laughs> he soccer. Did, he did welcome Simmons there, clearly. Yeah. So. And Jalen Rose. Uh, former Sounder Will Bruin scored the equalizer last Saturday. Is Austin Drew at Portland? Will Bruin still playing, huh? Yeah. He's on like the Kyle Ben era. <laughs> I don't know if that's true. <laughs> He's on. been in every era of the Sounders and Austin FC. <laughs> he was on the Sounders in like the fucking what were they called? Not net pre MLS, the USL. In the USL. Yeah, Will Ben was there. <laughs> Will Bruin. That's his name. Was Will Ben now? You are definitely on one on Saturday. The Has Will Bruin not been around forever? Uh, not forever. No. I think I have to give Nate Jake what? On, he was too. On Saturday, the Sounders head north of the border to face Vancouver for the first time this season. The Whitecaps currently eighth in the West standings, but seventh in points per match. They lost three one at Portland last weekend. Which very, survives. Very conflicting for us. <laughs> for all of our rivals. Oh, uh, definitely Vancouver is a way less of that's a rival. A, that's than a preferable Portland. rival. Oh, it's yeah. not a Derby match when we play Vancouver. Somehow it is when we play Portland. It's still a Derby match. Geographically speaking, it's significantly closer. But you got to factor in the time to cross the border. The border crossing. <laughs> uh, Brian Schmetzer revealed last week that knew his extended absence from the lineup was due to malaria. What the fuck? Uh, is that a thing people get? Uh, presumably contracted when he went home to play for his national team. Still. Okay. It, it is a thing that people get. It's treatable, thankfully. Schmetzer told reporters uh, on Tuesday that Nuhu will be available for Wednesday's match, along with Leo Chu, who missed a week with a foot injury, while Rui, Rui, Raul Rui Diaz could be back at the weekend. Still no timetable for Christian Roldan's return from that concussion that unfortunately has produced lingering symptoms. Well, Rain suffered their second loss of the season and saw their seven-match unbeaten streak across Challenge Cup and regular season play come to an end on the road against the North Carolina, Carolina Courage in a one nothing loss on Sunday. Tyler Lucy scored the game's only goal in the 34th minute as the Rain managed just two shots on goal in that one. The result dropped the Rain to a tie for second in the NWSL standings, one point behind the Washington Spirit. They'll be back home Sunday to face the team they're tied with and the other team that beat them on the road this season, Gotham FC, which has continued that strong start, albeit with a modest plus one goal differential compared to plus six for the rain. After allowing a league high 2.1 goals per match last season, Gotham FC allowing under one so far this year. On Tuesday, the deal involving the Reigns' parent team, Olympique Lyonnais, was announced. Washington Spirit owner Michelle Kang will become the majority owner of an organization, organization overseeing both the Spirit and OL Feminine. L'Equipe in France reported that OL is seeking 50 million euros, or about 54 million USD, in the sale of the Reign. It would be in line with the expansion fee that we've seen for the recent team that's going to uh, start play in the Bay Area. All right, the Seattle Storm will open 
the post-Sue Bird, Brianna Stewart era in the 2023 season on Saturday, hosting the Las Vegas Aces on ABC at 12 noon. Starting the lineup now looks pretty well set with Yvonne Turner starting both preseason matchups at point guard, including a, a uh, scrimmage they played last Sunday at L.A. against the Sparks. Storm will have to set their final roster by Thursday afternoon. They had hoped to get Gabby Williams back if the her Asvel team was upset in the semifinals of the French playoffs, but despite Williams being sidelined in concussion protocol, they erased a 13-point deficit after the first road leg to win their two-game Agriots semifinal series over the weekend against Bourges. The finals won't conclude until after the Storm opened the season, likely making Williams ineligible to play this season under the WNBA's new prioritization rule. Although if she doesn't play in the games due to the concussion, Storm has made the case to WNBA front office that because she isn't able to travel right now due to the concussion, that she shouldn't necessarily be considered subject to the prioritization rule. But Coach Noel Quinn did say after practice Tuesday that they're kind of anticipating they'll move forward without Gabby Williams this year. Uh, that that leaves the storm needing to cut at you least You don't want to hear my player. thoughts about it. You're just moving on. <laughs> well, I, didn't, I was unclear whether you were jumping in. I was over here being angry the entire time. About the prioritization rule. Gabby Williams is trying to make money, right? Yes. By playing in France. That's it. If the WNBA wants Gabby Williams to not play in France, pay her more fucking money. Period. The idea that we're waiting, we're like cheering for a French team to lose because she could play if they lost, but not if they win. This is an absurd way to approach the fucking sport. I agree. Let her play or pay her more. That is it. Those are the two options. Being like, no, you can't. Because ultimately, it's impacting players who are not stars more than anything else. Well, right? she's literally the only player who's going to be affected by it this year. That's it? Just Gabby Williams? Yeah. There, there are some players. She's the only player who's going to be affected by it on the court. There are other people who are affected by it financially, though. There are players who are giving up money by not playing in different places. Not really, because the French League was the only league that didn't move their schedule. All the other ones just moved their finish ahead of the... Now, next year is going to be a much trickier situation because next year the rule isn't you have to be back before the start of the regular season. Next year you have to be back by the start of training camp or May 1st, whichever is later. And it'll probably be that May 1st date because next year they have to deal with the Olympics. They have that in the middle of their season. And whether other leagues will back down at that point is unclear. But... This year, it was only the French League. I get it. Like, I understand. But for this scenario, if Gabby Williams is the only player affected, it's it's not a good rule. Just let her play. Just wave it, right? Like, why do you need to be hardline about this? If they wave it for Gabby Williams, is the where, where do players play most? Spain, places like that? Turkey? Turkey is, yeah, the highest paying place by far now. If those two places are like, no, then the WNBA still, they're being bullies here, ultimately to the players and to the leagues by by saying you need to prioritize something but not giving you anything. This is straight up taxation without representation. I mean, they did give the players more money in exchange for this. The players agreed to the prioritization rule more? in the, the new CBA negotiations. Still, the leverage is ultimately with the leagues in any of these CBA negotiations. Like, well, certainly think- in women's sports because of the fact that, like, look, if... If the NBA like decided they were weren't going to let anyone play, like someone else would start a new men's uh-huh. basketball league. The the alternative cost in women's basketball is much higher. 
there's not a leverage point that they have. At but I this think point. there is a growing leverage point with these. Like we just talked about that fifty million dollar potential valuation for the rain. I mean, there better be. They when when OL bought the, the team not worth fifty million dollars, but well, I mean, if an expansion team in the Bay Area is, why aren't they? I I'm skeptical about NWSL vis-a-vis WNBA. I think the WNBA is a much more like the excitement. But the storage valuation was way more than fifty dollars. Okay, good. Because the WNBA, I think, is a one of the like biggest growing sports in the United States, right? So, but once the valuations get that high, that actually is leverage for the players. We suddenly like just folding the league isn't a possibility, <laughs> and that's kind of been the WNBA's card this entire time. Yeah, fuck it, we'll go home. You can't even play basketball. Folding the league is their card. Yeah, I would like to. Call I mean, them on you that. look at the history of women's professional soccer. Like, there's been a series of leagues, and several of them have folded. So, I, I do think things are changing, but I think ultimately this this rule probably will be nothing. It is unnecessarily punitive to Gabby Williams, though. And I well, agree. Maybe the storm are fine with that because what we witnessed earlier today in the draft lottery is what the storm care about. I mean, they want to sign Gabby Williams, but they, the, the upside is they retain her rights. As Having res- Gabby Williams next year is a restricted free agent. I don't like personally for Gabby Williams as a human being for the Storm. Having Gabby Williams next year after having maybe a down season might be the right way to approach things. So the other implication of this, we'll, we'll get back to whether it's better for the Storm in a second, is that... If Williams had signed the storm, been able to re-sign the storm, probably would have had to keep eleven on their opening day roster. Now they will have, in all likelihood, enough money to keep twelve players. They have thirteen currently in camp. After waiving a pair of draft picks last week, Jade Lovell and Maddie Williams, followed by forward Jasmine Walker on Tuesday. That leaves point guard Ivana Doikic, wings Kyla Charles and Arella Garantes, likely battling for two spots. Unless the storm adds somebody from another team's cutdowns, which is possible. To your point about better for the storm, ESPN preseason power rankings had the storm 11th from my colleague, and Vopal out of 12 teams. Uh, my statistical projections for the season have them in the same spot. 11th. Who's the worst team? Indiana, still, even okay. with the addition of Leah Boston. You say that like we all know. <laughs> like, who the worst team in the WNBA is? Oh, we all do. <clears throat> Uh, Do you participate in the ESPN power rankings? Not, no. Not, not at the team level. Those are just mobile. So on Saturday, they'll face the Aces, and there's, just as they did in their last game of 2022 in the WNBA They did that shit with Sue Bird and Brianna Stewart. It ain't happening. The Aces, well, just to listen to this. The Aces returned all six players who played at least four minutes in last year's game. Four minutes? out in Seattle. Plus, they've added Candace Parker and our old friend Alicia Clark via free agency. You know, there were there were some reports that uh, the reason they were able to do that is because of the fact that there were some under-the-table payments offered to players. The WNBA was not able to corroborate that in terms of this year's free agency, in terms of their investigation, the results of which were announced Tuesday. Uh, but they did strip the Aces a first-round pick 
for their agreement with Dierica Hamby. And they also suspended Becky Hammond two games, including this opening game, uh, after the league's investigation found that Hammond violated the respect in the workplace policies with her comments to Hamby during her pregnancy before the Aces traded her to the LA Sparks to make room for these signings. And uh, pretty important comments. The draft pick is for the for Vegas. It's like whatever, right? I mean, you oh, basically yeah. told me like a first round draft pick means absolutely nothing. This isn't like the NFL, right? A first round draft pick at the end of the first round is very limited value. Yeah, 50-50 whether they make the team at best. It's like we're talking like a deep second round pick in the NBA. Yes. So cool. Honestly, whatever you can do to keep the league moving, you know what I mean? Like the aces are good for the WNBA. And the Liberty are good for the WNBA. We'll see how it works out. We'll also see how long the super team era lasts because, as I mentioned, the prioritization could be a factor in 24. So, It's unfortunate that it's the, at the expense of the Storm, but those two teams playing each other, when you imagine a WNBA Finals, if it comes to it, between the Liberty and the Aces, it'd be pretty incredible. I think that's going to draw right pretty well. I don't, I'm like all of a sudden rallied around Vegas. I mean, it's tough because obviously... It's Kelsey know, Plum's team. Brianna Stewart is, still has a special place in one's heart. It's different. Brianna Stewart didn't choose to play in Seattle. Brianna Stewart was drafted by Seattle. Kelsey Plum chose to play in Seattle. And they also have Alicia Clark, who is one of my all-time favorites. Right? Kelsey yeah. Plum should take precedence if we're... Look, I know you don't care about this sort of thing. Seattle, don't like the city. But like... The, you don't respect basketball players from there. <laughs> but the city, if you're viewing it from a Seattle perspective, Kelsey Plum should be basically at the top of that list. Yeah. So. And she's awesome. Uh, without question. Did you know that Tom Brady is part of the Aces ownership group, though? I think I might have seen that. Yeah. <clears throat> All right, let's get to our UW rundown, starting with the baseball, because they are permanently in the rundown for the rest of this season. Whoa! Maybe we keep the pressure on them a little bit. No! <laughs> they don't need the pressure anymore, because I already took it off last week, and they still came up with a huge sweep at number 24, Oregon. That's the most excited I've seen you. They win into Eugene, <laughs> home of track and field and baseball, and powered by dominant hitting, they outscored the Ducks 43-18 to 18 over the three games. Scoring at least 11 runs in I each game. I love that you're the most animated in like six months. We drafted Jackson <laughs> Smith and Jigba, and you're the most animated uh, UW sweeping Oregon at baseball. It's the two IPS. <laughs> it's the first UW sweep of Oregon since the Ducks resumed playing baseball in 2009. <laughs> <laughs> you find that very funny? That's really funny. And their most runs in any three-game series since 2004. We were playing baseball at the time. <laughs> we were. Yeah. The Only Ducks Oregon were number 20. The head of UW, and they just resumed playing baseball in 2009. <laughs> uh, Huskies hit seven home runs and 11 doubles in the three-game series. At 16 and 10, the Huskies are now second in the Pac-12 percentage points ahead of 18 and 12 Oregon State, and a half game better than 16 and 11 USC. This team is an NCAA tournament team. They are currently in the projection from College Sports Madness. There we go. Where, uh, what seed are they? The, you in only have out? the 16 seeds, Look, like softball. I think I know a thing or two about college baseball. <laughs> and you know anything. <laughs> Maybe two. 
being ahead of Tim Lincecum, Kevin Stalker, being ahead <laughs> oh, wow. of the disrespect State. to Joe Wayne. <laughs> Look, no, uh, never, never, ever. Being ahead of Oregon State, being number two in the Pac-12, is a huge deal. This is a college World Series, college tournament, whatever it is. NCAA tournament. NCAA tournament team that UW is fielding right now. And what head coach, dude from LSU, has done. Jason something? (laughs) Pretty sure it's. Has done at this program is remarkable. I agree. To turn this team around. Yeah. In one year, I mean, this team was not that good last year. So, it's very exciting. All right, let me, Phil, well, look you up the name of the, you know, <laughs> the, the, head, the name of their head coach. Jason Kelly. I there had we it. go. I had it all the way. Look, I knew LSU. You knew Jason. Uh, he was the pitching coach at the at UW beforehand. We know, they, all, we know all about Jason Kelly. When they went to the College World Series. Uh uh, you know those players, they m- must be still playing. They're, they did a shortstop that I liked. I I don't know that any of the starters are still involved. You know, wraps up. But the conference, I think they're probably still was playing. Pre pandemic, wasn't it? It was like 2019. Wasn't you think it? they're not lingering in the minors? I know Joe oh, Wayne still has, in the minors. Joe Wayne has is a golf instructor now yep. in Texas. Possible some of them are in the minors. Uh, you know, wraps up the conference schedule this weekend by hosting Cal, which comes in tied for the seller in the Pac-12 at 10 and 17. So comes in tied for the seller in the Pac-12. That's what he said. Okay. Yeah. <clears throat> So a real chance for the Huskies to, if they sweep, they guarantee a second place in the Pac-12. I mean, I can't go to any of these games, but. (laughs) Because you're going to be at the Thunderbirds game. (laughs) (laughs) I've got an important plan to skip my child's (laughs) birthday party and to go to a T-Birds game. Showware Center isn't going to fill itself. Look, if that sells out, then I'll be at the Utah baseball game <laughs> one way or another. Whatever sporting event, fringe sporting event in Seattle I can be at. I'm going to be at Gabby Williams' French game <laughs> with with Wendy. Me, me, me and Wendy are going to be there in France. You know, Titty Parker is a partner of that team. There we go. Just like he is still OL Red. Tony so Parker? He still owns his, his small percentage of the team. I think two IPAs might be too much for this. <laughs> I think we have learned that, yes. Uh, it was a disappointing performance for UW softball in the inaugural Pac-12 tournament for the Huskies. Uh, they needed to sweat out a one nothing win over number 7 seed Oregon State in Thursday's quarterfinals with Jaden Ulchin supplying the only score with a second inning home run. Brie Malin with a distance for a three-hit shutout in that one, her seventh of the season. But in the semifinals Friday versus Utah, the Huskies went behind 3-0 in the third inning and 4-0 before getting on the board with a pair of runs in the bottom of the fifth. Utah extended the lead to 8-2 entering the bottom of the seventh. When UW offered a late scare with Riley Holtorf homering to make it 8-3, Huskies added a run on a bases-loaded sack fly and then reloaded the bases to bring the tying run to the plate down to their final out but Ulchin grounded it out to end the game. Utah went on to upset UCLA in the final. But good news, despite the loss, the Huskies still earned the number seven seed in the NCAA tournament. Okay. Allowing them to host the regionals this weekend in the Super Regionals if they advance. Were you at Oregon? <laughs> Minnesota, McNeese One through State. six? Probably not. No, no, they are not. Minnesota, McNeese State, and Northern Colorado will be the other three teams God, in this McNeese weekend. McNeese State is weirdly scary. Double elimination regionals. You recall that McNeese State, the Southland champs, actually beat UW 3-2 yeah, in so Louisiana. Minnesota and Northern Colorado, fine. McNeese State scares me. 
Uh, we got an email from the Louisiana listener, Warren Arsenault, who said he is willing to provide on-site coverage from the softball regional featuring my hometown, McNeese Cowgirls, oh, in exchange for plane ticket, <laughs> Dick's gift card, and an autographed Ichiro bat, which may be used to beat some sets of trust it. You would hit me like one time very softly. <laughs> <laughs> Look, it, it, would, it would get past all the defenders, but no extra bases. Uh, the Huskies will open Friday with Big Sky champion Northern Colorado. The Bears making their first appearance ever in the NCAA tournament. Minnesota faces McNeese State in the other bracket, having finished third in the Big Ten at 17-6. and six. The Gophers went 2-0 and against Pac-12 foes, beating both Oregon Easy. and Arizona Easy State in preseason do. tournaments. It's Oregon at track or softball. Just an easy, easy thing to beat. Easy. <laughs> However, they lost 9-6 to Seattle U, who was beaten by the Huskies <laughs> in their only matchup of the season. I, like, I really... Do you feel the same way? McNeese State is a scary team. Of course, yeah. Okay. Everybody's scary, but McNeese State is the most scary. I mean, the Huskies would be at home in this matchup, and <clears> that <throat> was on the Monday after a long weekend of a tournament play. But, yeah. All right, let's wrap up with the Seahawks. We learned last week, how would the Seahawks create the necessary cap room to cr- sign all their draft picks? On Thursday, Field Yates, my ESPN colleague, reported that the Seahawks converted $8.535 million of Tyler Lockett's 2023 salary into a signing bonus, clearing $5.69 million of cap space this season. That does increase Lockett's cap hit in 2024 and 2025. The remaining seasons of his contract make it much more difficult for the Seahawks to move on from Lockett next year, which... They won't need to. Yeah, why would you want to move on from Tyler Lockett? I'm just saying. Uh, in addition to the draft picks, the Seahawks also used some of the space to sign defensive end Mario Edwards Jr., an eight-year vet who spent last season with the Tennessee Titans. The Seahawks will be his sixth team, not counting a practice squad stint with the Jaguars last year before signing in Tennessee. Wow, he was in the practice squad? It was kind of shocking. Because he had signed a pretty good size <laughs> extension with Chicago before this, but the Bears waived him in training camp. Uh, Edwards started seven games last season, his most since 2017, playing 51% of the snaps after joining. The I'm excited about Edwards in that three-tech position. Like, yeah. Again, kind of just needed depth there, but I think this is it. Mario Edwards will probably not be seen on the field making an impact because this position doesn't that much, but he will have an impact on the game. Yes. I mean, it was... It's weird to go through and like look at statistics. I, you know, I think that generally the PFF tracking rated him pretty well as a pass rusher last season. I I was excited about the signing and coming out of the draft when people were talking about like the Seahawks should have drafted another player here. Mario Edwards is going to have more of an impact in this first season, maybe not long term, but in this one season with the Seahawks, you could sign a Mario Edwards every single year. That is true. So for about the same money, I think this was a good move by the Seahawks and he will be a factor. Uh, The NFL schedule was released last Thursday. The Seahawks got three national TV games. They'll be on Monday Night Football, October 2nd at the New York Giants. Thanksgiving night, they'll play on NBC hosting San Francisco and then at Dallas on Thursday Night Football the following week. I mean, Thanksgiving at home for the first time in our lifetimes. Yeah, I mean they've only they've played on Thanksgiving a few times because they've played at Dallas. I remember, well, they played at Dallas and they played at San Francisco. 
I think they played at Dallas multiple times on Thanksgiving. Maybe, I only remember at one. least once. There yeah. was like one kind of forgettable game at Dallas that they just lost. Well, there was uh, Julius Jones was the running back. I think that was yeah. Julius. That was the that was the game that I'm talking about. Yeah. And then there was one of the most important games in Seahawks history, beating the Niners. On. They didn't beat the Niners. They ended the Niners. <laughs> the Niners will never be good again. <laughs> Well, not never good again, but they weren't. The Jim Harbaugh was not walking through that door. Let's put it that way. Uh, ending the Niners on Thanksgiving night—that was like one of the best football nights, right? Oh, without question, it was incredible. Seeing Richard Sherman eating the turkey leg—come yeah. on, having that at home against the Niners again—it's going to make for an interesting Thanksgiving day. The stakes are now very high. I'm having—I'm already—it's fucking middle of the summer here in Seattle. And <laughs> not, the, not the middle. I don't. It's, it was ninety degrees. Middle of summer here in Seattle. I'm already reshaping my Thanksgiving day plans because this. And I'll tell you what, I could not be more excited. <laughs> Thanksgiving day football. What more could you ask for? Because sometimes you're going to a football game. It's Sunday. You're like, I don't really want to go for it today. I've got work tomorrow or whatever. This is the first day of a four day weekend. Right here, Thursday football. It's not Thursday night football going into a Friday of a work week. This is one of the best four-day weekends of the year. Wow, I did not really think about this concept, but you have, you've laid it out quite nicely here. You think me and Chris Smith are not going to be drinking beers in this game? Like, let's fucking go. I, I would never accuse you. Seahawks, Niners, we're going to be so full of potatoes and gravy, right? Whatever Nate Duncan ranked for us. Like, we are going to be getting after it on a Thursday football game. I'm just throwing this out there. This might be one of the drunkest Seahawks games in history. I, I think that is very possible. Uh, we'll have decided what Seattle's best IPA is by that point, so you can drink it. Uh, I will not. <laughs> I'll, be drinking. I'll be drinking something much lighter there. Also, think about your weekend. You've got that Thursday, Saturday, the Apple Cup. That's Saturday. Yeah. And also, that's, we give a day to recover. Yeah. There's, is there Black Friday football this year? Is that starting the following year? In the NFL? You haven't seen this? That all these teams are debating for... They want the Black Friday game? I have not seen this information. The Jets desperately want the Black Friday game? Well, they haven't but fumbled on Black Friday. <laughs> so that makes sense. That's true. Just creepy Sauce Gardner figures on the cover of SI. Yeah, that, Some people still see or read SI. And I guess they're talking about the Jets in May. I don't know why. Lovely feature about the Kraken is the SI cover story went a day last week from Greg Bishop. Uh, the Seahawks will open the season by hosting the LA Rams, which leads me to ask, who wants a live Pelton cast Friday, September 8th? You know before any that person game? who's made it to this point wants a live Pelton cast. <laughs> exactly. It's about the other people. <laughs> well, well, it's about the up. most people who've not made it to this point. We've not even started this podcast. Uh, it's an early buy for the Seahawks in week five, which might not be such a bad thing with Jordan Brooks and Jordan and Jamal Adams coming off of injuries. Hopefully Jamal Adams will be back we're just, by this We're point. just going to circle circle the wagons around an off-ball linebacker and just be like, oh, it's a good early buy. Their off-ball linebacker might be back. We only have the best linebacker in Seahawks history on the team this year. Well... They can they can play they can both play. I don't know if you're aware of this. Jordan Brooks and Bobby Wagner both played together in I'm 2021. Saying, I'm not saying that they can't play separately, but like being like, well, this is a good thing. They'll get their safety and their off-ball linebacker back. This isn't like Geno Smith returns after the bye. 
This isn't like Jackson Smith and Jigba in order of importance for the roster. Those two players. <laughs> the, you know he's going for like 2,000 yards this year. Um, he's just always open. Who's third between DK and Tyler? Devin Witherspoon? Trick one. That's fair. That's uh, fair. It's not a good thing having this buy. It is a it's it'll be fun as fans to have it and get it out of the way. But like it is a slog that the Seahawks are gonna have to go through post buy. Wow. It, it's basically like they are playing a full NFL season after this buy. You know, when you add the extra week with how early it is, it is they are grinding. They'll have thirteen games after the buy. And uh, they don't even get right the it goes Thanksgiving into Thursday night football. So the the after that second Thursday night game will get the the mini buy, quote unquote, before playing on Sunday the following week. Still. But they will need it. They are playing three games within seventeen you no, know, I I forget what the number of days. Yeah, seventeen days, I think that's right. With with the Sunday and a Thursday and a Thursday. Correct. Uh, Thanksgiving, that first Seahawks Niners meeting, the other two weeks later, in between is the Cowboys. And then after that, they host Philadelphia. So oh. that is four consecutive games against the expected top three teams in the in the NFC. I will say this is the number one year that for the Seahawks to need depth across the board in the roster. And I do think, this is not like me saying the Mariners roster is perfect. I think that the Seahawks roster is quite deep. I feel like it's quite deep in certain positions. I mean, we'll see about the defensive line. That's, you know, that would be the biggest question mark. Line. It is. There's a lot of dudes. There's always a lot of dudes. Like There's still going to be the same number of players <laughs> on the roster every year. If we're qualifying the amount of dudes on the <laughs> roster, it's almost always the same. They've got 90. That's the limit. <laughs> It, I I guess I agree that it's quite deep at some positions, but I think it's deep like at the right secondary, positions. Secondary, I think, extremely deep. And that is a position the Seahawks have been hurt quite a bit. Wide receiver, pretty deep. I mean, compared to last season, certainly. Sure. Running back, they keep drafting them. Extraordinarily so highly drafted running backs. So. No, I think this roster has quite a bit of depth. Like, they're going to have some good competitions going into into training camp, into the preseason, and the regular season. like That's my hope. I, I think this is I think this is going to be a roster that will withstand this regular season. I also think linebacker will be pretty deep from the standpoint of, again, they've had to build a, a group there that can withstand not having Jordan Brooks. Is Tanner Muse still on the roster? I believe he is still on the <clears throat> roster. That's yes. what we're talking about, right? Tanner Muse is the depth we're talking about. Well, he, he was not. I was referring to if you have a situation where Wagner and Jordan Brooks are starting and Devin Bush is your third linebacker. Oh, yeah, Devin Bush. That's yeah. where he could go. So. No, I I don't know. Judging a schedule. We knew who we were going to play. Just went. It'll be fun. It'll you be know, fun to play on Thanksgiving. I always like to use the Larry Bird quote about 41 home, 41 road looks good to me. <laughs> Doesn't work in the NFL anymore. Eight home, nine road looks good to me. <laughs> It's kind of extraordinarily different than Larry Bird, what he was talking about. I don't know if it's extraordinarily difficult. It, different. It Everyone is. in the NFC has eight home and nine road, but, except but for the, no, the street, international the, the, games. Uh, the teams you play, it's not like That's Larry true. Bird. Yes, where the NFL play. schedule is pretty, like, 
it is designed to create parody. Yes. Which the NBA it's schedule is not. Definitely not like what Larry Bird is talking about. So it was an irrelevant quote, but thank you for bringing it up. <laughs> um, <sighs> anyway. Boy, the last week with two IPAs. Midsummer. <laughs> Schedule's released. Jackson Smith and Jigba's on the roster. What more could we ask for? On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.